the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful Saturday and a wonderful week. Uh, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and uh, today we are going to resume again our fabulous series with our dear brother, Sam Shimon, who is joining me here today. We're so thankful that uh, his time uh, permits him uh, periodically to uh, be able to continue with us uh, in this series. By the way, we're getting a lot of wonderful uh, feedback from people that I know. They're enjoying it. They're learning a lot from it. So thank you so much for your prayers for the series and for our dear brother. Sam, thank you so much, brother, for joining us. And uh, it's always a privilege uh, to serve the Lord with you. Again, it's a privilege is mine. Thank you for having me to be used of the Lord Jesus to glorify him and bless you and the people of God with the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sam, we've been going through, of course, uh, Jesus in the Quran from a variety of angles. And, you know, last time we covered at least maybe two to three uh, episodes just dealing with the uh, implications of what does it mean uh, that Jesus is uh, king, that he is the Messiah uh, from um, the, the way the Quran mentioned him without really realizing the implications, meaning the author of the Quran realizing the biblical implications of that. And we talked about, uh, you know, Jesus being the son of man in Daniel. Of course, that was the last uh, part. And I think today we uh, are planning on now taking a different look at Jesus as the word of Allah or the word of God in the Quran. Am I correct? Yes, by the grace of God, as we invoke the God and Father, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to anoint us in the power of the Holy Spirit, to speak truth without error, and to do it for the glory of Jesus, to strengthen believers and convict Muslims to repent, to turn to their only hope of salvation, who is Jesus Christ, the Father's beloved, in Jesus' name. Yep, that's what I plan on doing. Because don't forget that the Quran describes specific titles as well as functions to Jesus Christ that go above and beyond what can be said of an ordinary human creature. Now, again, let me preface this. I know I sound like a broken record, but God has designed human beings to learn by repetition. We have to do something or hear something repetitively before it becomes second nature by the grace of God's Spirit. I am not appealing to the Quran because it's the Word of God, nor am I appealing to it because I believe that the Jesus of the Quran is the Jesus of history. What I believe is taking place in the Quran is that this is another religion, inspired, produced by Satan, whatever you want to say, to present another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, but with enough, with enough similarity to the true Jesus, true spirit, true gospel, to do people into thinking this is the true religion. So I just want to be clear on that, because people can legitimately say, why are you using the Quran to prove your point? Well, I'm using the Quran because I'm dealing with Muslims. 
Jerusalem, speaking to an atheist, they'll never touch the Quran. And since the Quran is authoritative for Muslims, I want them to see what the Quran says as a stepping stone, as a bridge to bring them to the true God, the true Christ, the true Spirit, the true gospel. So I just want to be clear on that. Amen. So that said, we can go to chapter 4 of the Quran, which again, each chapter of the Quran is called Surah. And I want to encourage people who are serious about reaching Muslims and loving them and praying for their salvation. Learn Islamic terminology. I'm not saying go learn Arabic, because that's a lifelong study. But at least learn that a chapter in the Quran is called a surah, and a verse in the Quran is called ayah, which is interesting, because as our brother knows, the Arabic word ayah means sign or wonder, which gives you a notion of what Muslims think about the verses of the Quran. They think the Quran is miraculous from cover to cover, which is why a verse in Arabic is ayah, plural ayat, which means a sign, sign, wonder, wonder. So they believe the Quran is miraculous from cover to cover. So in chapter 4, which is Surah Nisa, 171, here are the titles ascribed to Jesus in a context which, shockingly, seeks to deny the sonship of Christ. Let me just read it. It's, people of the book, go not beyond the bonds bounds in your religion, and say not as to God, which in Arabic is Allah, but the truth. In other words, only speak truthful things about God. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary. So notice, he's the Messiah. We already unpacked the significance of calling him the Messiah, even though the Quran does not explain it. Jesus, son of Mary, Ibn Maryam, an affirmation of Jesus' virginal conception and birth, and we're going to have to unpack that too. Why Jesus and Jesus alone was conceived to and born from a blessed virgin without intercourse was the messenger of God, apostle, Rasul. Here's another title. And his word, the word of Allah, his word that he cast down, Al-Qaha, Illa Maryam, he cast down to Mary and a spirit from him. So I want to just park it right there. What I want to focus on is uh, the phrase, his word, which he cast down to Mary, as well as the Spirit from him. By the way, as a Christian who believes in the Bible, I can affirm all these titles ascribed to Jesus, because mm-hmm. he's the Messiah, the Bible confirms. He is the Son of Mary, the Bible confirms. Now, many Christians may be surprised to hear that the Bible even calls Jesus a Rasul. Now, the Arabic word Rasul can mean apostle as well. Someone sent out on behalf of another with a message. Are you aware that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is called an apostle? It's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, our Lord is called the apostle and high priest of our great confession. So there he's called Rasulullah, the apostle of God. So as a Christian, as Christians, we should have no objection to that, but explain what it means to be an apostle of God. If he's God, how can he be an apostle of God? Well, because he's not God the Father. One with the Father, but distinct from Him. As such, He can be the Father's Apostle and Son. We'll unpack that a little more. But another title here that many Christians may hesitate to ascribe to Jesus. It says that Jesus is a spirit from Him, from God. Ruchen Min. Now, Christians do not typically talk about Jesus being a spirit. But in reality, this is one of the ascriptions that Paul attributes to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15.45. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, we are told that the first Adam, the first man, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. So right there, he's called spirit. 
So if Jesus is spirit, and he came from God, then the Quran is correct. He's a spirit from God. Now, one may wonder, why is Jesus called a life-giving spirit if he's also man? Because Jesus is also God. Ask God. This is something I want to make clear to the, to the audience. Not so much for the Muslims, but Christians as well. Ask God, in his divine nature, Jesus is spirit. And by spirit, we mean that God is an invisible, immaterial. He doesn't have a material form. Incorporeal, he doesn't have corporeality, meaning he doesn't have physicality. He's not made of any material substance. <clears throat> Timeless, faceless being. So God as spirit refers to the fact that God, who created all time, all space, all place, therefore existing before these things came into being, must be timeless. Because if he created time, then he's timeless. If he created space, he's spaceless. If he created matter, he's immaterial. If he created place, he's placeless. So when we refer to Jesus as God, in his divine nature, he exists as an immaterial, incorporeal, faceless, timeless being, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So as Christians, we should not hesitate to refer to Christ as spirit when speaking of his deity. Amen. It's in his humanity. It's in his humanity. I just want to make this point clear. In his physicality, his physical, his human nature, that he has a physical body. So because he's human, to be truly human, you have to have a human body, a physical body, a material body, with a human soul and spirit, etc. So as man, he has physicality. As God, he's immaterial. So I just want to make that point clear. I hope that came clear. Absolutely. And thank you for pointing that out, brother, because one of the things that break my heart is that many of my Christian brothers and sisters lack knowledge of the Scripture, and therefore they are shocked or surprised to hear things like this sometimes being taught, or even when a Muslim asks them simple questions, they are unable to even refute or defend it, per se. You know, I want to add one more thing. In Galatians, of course, chapter 4, Paul also mentioned that God sent the Spirit of His Son, indicating the preexistence of Jesus and in His nature, in His spiritual nature, per se. Yes, actually, it's a beautiful passage, because we've said it before. It says, God sent forth His Son to be born of a woman. There's incarnation, born under the law. And then later it says, He sent forth the Spirit of His Son, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Because Christ is the Son by nature, Having His Spirit living in us, uniting us to Christ, we share in Christ's unique sonship. So that's a very beautiful passage that affirms the pre-human existence of Christ and the fact that we share in His Spirit, which is why we're children of God. Which is interesting, as a side note, Islam did away with adoption, and yet the very heart of God is to adopt human beings into His family. Amen. And maybe in a future session we should talk about why Islam, you know, did away with adoption, a very humane practice that Muhammad simply got rid of in order to save faith. But again, let's get back to Christ and his titles and how to use the Quran to bring people to the truth of the gospel. The Quran says something interesting. Now, people need to pay attention to the language of the Quran. It says, Jesus is his word which he cast down to Mary. Al-Faha, cast down. Now, that is the language of pre-human existence, because it shows that Christ came from above, to Mary, because he was cast down to Mary. So if he was cast down to Mary, that means he existed high above. High above where? If I were to ask you, brother, high above where? Where did he come down from to come to Mary? Who did he answer? Well, I mean, he came from heaven, of course. You got it. He came from above the seven heavens. Remember, in Islamic cosmology, Allah's above the seven heavens. So that means this Quranic passage is affirming that at one point, Christ 
existed above the seven heavens with Allah as Allah's word and then came down from above the seven heavens to enter Mary. If that's not pre-human existence, I don't know what is. And that's further confirmed by the phrase, a spirit from him. If he's a spirit from him, that means Jesus originally originated from God, which the Muslims believe is, is Allah, the same God of Abraham. And he did not originate from the dust of the earth or from, from the earthly realm. He comes as a spirit. So notice again, here you have Muhammad, aping Christian theology, making it part of his Quran without realizing the implications of doing so. He hears Christians saying this, he adopts it, with the hopes that Christians would then give him a hearing. Little did he realize that God would then use this to bring people to the truth of the gospel and expose him. Now notice he says a spirit from him, which makes sense, because Jesus only became flesh when he entered the blessed womb of his mother and took on a human nature and a physical body. That means he would have been spirit above the seven heavens, alongside God, existing with God as his word. So this is, again, precisely correct in what Christians believe. Jesus, as the Word, who existed with God before creation, existed as Spirit, but then came down to become flesh. So then where exactly are Christians exaggerating in their religion, and where exactly are Christians not saying the truth about God when they affirm that Jesus is the eternal Word, who was with God in heaven, originates from God's own being as Spirit, and enters the world to become flesh? Where exactly are we exaggerating? Where are we going beyond the limits? Sure sounds like the Quran is agreeing with the Bible. Absolutely. So let me bring <clears throat> let me bring out some further implications. Jesus is the word of God, and yet Muslims would agree. So I have to now respond to some of their questions. They would agree, yeah, he's the word of God. In fact, in Islamic piety, Islamic theology, Jesus has two names described to him. Kalimat Allah, the word of Allah, Kalimat Allah, the word of Allah, and Ruh Allah. Spirit of Allah. Kalimat Allah and Ruh Allah, Word of God and Spirit of God, respectively, are the titles given to Jesus and Jesus alone in Islamic theology, Islamic piety. Ask any Muslim, a Muslim scholar or an imam, he'll confirm that Jesus and Jesus alone is called the Word of God, Kalimat Allah, and Ruh Allah, Spirit of Allah. There are even stories in the Islamic tradition where people are calling Jesus Ruh Allah, Ya Ruh Allah, O Spirit of Allah. That's what they went around calling. And you'll find these in the Muslim commentaries by Ibn Kathir when he's narrating the miracles that Jesus did, like raising Shem. There's a story in Islamic tradition, which I don't know if you're aware of, that one of the people that Jesus raised from the dead was Shem, an Arabic Sam, the son of Noah. Right? And so as he's raising Jesus, Shem, they call him in that story, Ruh Allah, Ya Ruh Allah, O Spirit of Allah. And then he raises Hashem. So again, this is the title described to Jesus in Islamic theology, in Islamic tradition, Islamic piety. Now, here's the problem, though. You ask a Muslim, is God's word created or uncreated? They're going to have to say it's uncreated, because God has always existed with his ability, his capacity to communicate and express himself. So he's always existed with his word. Okay. Now, here's the problem. If you're telling me the Word of God is uncreated, it's an essential part of his being, but then you tell me that Jesus is God's Word, and he's the only one said to be the Word of God in the Quran, meaning of all the messengers, apostles, of all the sentient beings, I'm not talking about, you know, God's Word as 
is revelation, because they also believe the Quran is the Word of God. I'm talking about sentient beings, you know, whether angelic or human. The only one among these sentient beings called the Word of God, the Word of Allah, is Jesus. So if God's Word is eternal, and yet Jesus is, is the Word of God, therefore, how do you escape the logical conclusion that Jesus is eternal by nature? How would you refute that? Right. <clears throat> how would you respond to that? <clears throat> well, obviously... Now, Go ahead. No, good, brother. I don't want to cut you off because everyone. Uh, what did you want to say? I was going to say uh, your voice uh, just what cut off. If you can repeat the question, I'm, I'm sure the audience also didn't hear it. Yeah, sorry about that because that's what happens with technology. Now, no. if the word of God is eternal, and you're telling me Jesus is God's word, how do you escape the logical conclusion that Jesus is eternal by nature? So, how would you respond to that? Now, pretend you're a Muslim, and in your days as a Muslim, let's say, how would you have responded to that? I'm just curious. You know, it's, it's always it's always funny. You know, when when as a Muslim, of course, when you tell me he's the Word of God, uh, the response that I would give is, "Oh no, no, God just uh, spoke the Word and say be, and he became." That's usually the, do- exactly. uh, the indoctrination uh, that we have. That's exactly what I wanted you to say, and this is the response. Hold on, that's just so the audience can understand because some of them don't understand the Muslim mindset. To a Muslim, Jesus is called the Word of God. Because he was created by God's command, kun. He said kun, and it is. Kun kun. In other words, Jesus is not the Word of God, but the byproduct, the result of God's Word bringing him into existence. So God used his Word to create Jesus in the womb. That's how they respond. That's the typical response given by Muslims. And because you come out of that Muslim background, you knew what the response would be. However, here's the problem. You ask the Muslim, did Allah... God create Adam by his command? They'll say yes. It's in chapter 3 of the Quran, verse 59. Surah Al-Imran. Chapter 3, verse 59. There it says that Allah created Adam from dust and said to him, Be, and he is. Kun fayakun. Now the problem here is, if Jesus is the Word of God, because God created him by his command, then that means Adam is also the Word of God. And yet nowhere is Adam ever said to be the Word of God. Why not? If that's the answer, if the answer is Jesus is God's Word because God created Jesus by his command, then that should apply to Adam and any and all creatures that God created by his Word. But no one is called God's Word, which means that cannot be the explanation. So are you with me there? Yep, absolutely. That cannot be the explanation. Furthermore, let me give you further proof that cannot be the explanation. If you go to the Muslim commentators, They'll tell you that the first 80 verses, roughly, first 80 verses of chapter 3 of the Quran were, quote-unquote, revealed in, in response to Muhammad's debate dialogue with a group of Arab Christians from Najran. Now, again, you're going to have to go to the sources to confirm this. You can read Ibn Kathir's <clears throat> commentary and a bridge English translation online. I want to make this available for, for your audience. You go to the letter Q... QTafsir.com. Q-T-A-S-S-I-R.com. Go there. Click in his commentary in chapter 3, and he'll tell you. Basically, the first 80 verses were written to respond to the objections that the Christians raised against Muhammad, a group of Arabic Christians from Madras. Now, one of the objections that Ibn Kathir says they raised against Muhammad, this is in his commentary, they said, well, you say he's the word of Allah. And he's the spirit of Allah. 
Doesn't that prove that he's God and eternal? So now, guess what Muhammad's response was? His response wasn't, no, 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 no. God created Jesus by his command. That's not what he said. His response was chapter 3, verse 7. Now, I don't know how much time I have. How am I doing on time? Um, You're doing, I think we have about uh, probably, uh, you know, five minutes, give or take. Good, good. All right, let me then finish at least this part, and then we'll continue in the second part on the theme. Chapter 3, verse 7. Here's his response, brother. Notice his response. It is he who sent down upon the book, wherein are verses clear. It is he who sent down the book upon you, Muhammad, wherein are clear verses. They are the essence of the mother of the book. Other verses are ambiguous. Pay attention. As for those whose heart is swerving, they follow the ambiguous part, desiring dissension and desiring its interpretation. And none know its interpretation save only God. And those firmly rooted in knowledge say, we believe in it, we believe in it. All is from our Lord, yet none remembers but men possess the mind. Don't explain what this verse is saying. There are clear verses of the Quran, focus on them. There are unclear, ambiguous verses that no one knows what they mean except God. Stop focusing on them. That was Muhammad's response to the Christians. Basically, he's telling them, hey, the verse that says Jesus is the word of Allah and the Spirit, the Spirit from Him, that's ambiguous. That's unclear. We don't know what it really means. Only Allah knows what it means. Stop using it. How convenient. Did you catch it? Absolutely, because uh, if, if, if Muhammad's understanding was that he was just spoken by God as a command, how difficult it was for him to say that. He didn't say that. He said, we don't know its meaning. Exactly. Stop focusing on that. Which but is, then that introduces another problem. Go ahead, brother. And I want to interject something here. This is yet another evidence based on the recent research that Islam borrowed from a lot of available Christian doctrines without thinking. Taking it, putting it in there, and then later getting caught. And I'm not making it up. All the commentators, without exception, Tabari, Portubi, Jalane, they all admit that's why chapter 3, verse 7 was quote-unquote revealed. To dissuade people specifically Christians, from using verses that suggest that Jesus is God, because those are ambiguous verses. No one knows their meaning except Allah. Stop focusing on them. Now, notice this is ad hoc. This is after the fact. He only said that after they're using his own statements against him, and his response is, no one knows its meaning. So two things. Muslims, you cannot tell us what it means for Jesus to be the Word of God, because even your prophet says, no one knows what it means except Allah. Number two, how convenient that the Quran now contains verses that no one knows their meaning except Allah. So my question is, why did Allah even bother revealing such verses? For what purpose? What do they serve? Why would you have unclear verses? To confuse people? So they can use it as a weapon against Muhammad to prove the opposite of what Muhammad taught, like Jesus is God? What a, what, a, what a confusing, perplexing book. Absolutely, brother, and I'm sure you deal with this all the time. It's, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me that 21st century Muslims think they know what Al-Tabari meant back in the, seventh, uh, in the 9th century, or what Muhammad meant in the 7th century. Exactly. And yet, when you confront them with what Muhammad said, look, these verses are unclear. They have to go silent. They cannot add further unless they want to admit they know more than their own prophet did. Amen. So they have to leave it alone. But the thing is, when the Quran is unclear, remember what chapter 10, verse 94 says. If you have doubts concerning what we have sent down to you, ask the people of the book. So we will give you the clarity that the Quran lacks. 
we will tell you what they mean, because the Bible has the answers, because the Bible is the true word of God. The Quran is a counterfeit of God's true word. So Amen. there you Amen. have it. And, Brother, thank you so much. Uh, we have about a minute left, and uh, we certainly, hopefully, everybody uh, who's listening to this, this is a lot of reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, with me here, Sam Shimon, and we're continuing our uh, series uh, related to Jesus in the Quran, and today we're talking about what does it mean that the Quran calls him in chapter 4, verse 171, which, ironically, it's supposedly a, a verse that was refuting the sonship of Christ and his deity. It's actually backfired, and it's, it's actually confirmed biblical perspective on Jesus in terms of his deity and his sonship. Um, brother, why don't you, in the next 30 seconds, give people a way to connect with you? Yes, please do pray for me, my, my family, that the Lord will watch over us, preserve us, keep us solely in love with them, and give us the help we need, and provision for the ministry. Because, again, we're in the full-time ministry and depend on God's goodness to provide. You can find my articles on my blog, answeringislamblog.wordpress.com. That's where all my latest articles will appear before they appear on the main website, Answering Islam, which is answeringislam.net. And you'll find me on PalTalk. I usually speak several times a week on PalTalk, which you can download for free. P-A-L-P-A-L-PalTalk.com. Add my name, Answering Islam, and I have a room there, Trinity and Islam. Come and ask your questions. Come and learn by the grace of God. So that's how you can find me. And I'm also available Amen. to come and speak at your churches if you want. Amen, okay. amen, amen. And uh, we'll catch you next week, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is Let Us Reason, and uh, we'll catch you next week. God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 